Hey everyone, and welcome back to my podcast, a podcast all about movie commentaries. Happy spooky season! So for the rest of this month, it's going to be all scary slash Halloween movies. Then after this month is up, we'll go back to the Twilight Saga. So if anybody's here not for the scary movies, don't worry, I'm going to go back to those movies. But these scary movies aren't that scary though. (laughs) So to start us off this month, we have Scream 1 and 2. I love these movies because I'm kind of a wimp and when it comes to scary movies I'll watch them but most of the time it's either through my cardigan which is over my face or my hands through my fingertips. <laughs> um, my husband loves scary movies so I mainly just watch them with him. Very rarely do I watch a scary movie by myself because I'm a wimp like I've previously stated. But anyways back to these movies. They're kind of a good middle for me. They're a little scary, but they're also funny. So that works for me. Like, I can do jump scares, but I do have a problem with, like, the suspense. It builds, it builds, it builds too much, and then I'm just, I've driven myself into a panic attack waiting on this big scare to come. Like I said, these movies are a good middle for me, and it's kind of funny. I actually didn't watch these movies in order. I saw the fourth one first, and then went back and watched the rest. But with these movies... I knew the premise already, and if you've seen one, you've seen them all, because they're basically the same movie, just with different killers. I obviously was not working at the theater when the first three came out, because I was three, four, and seven when they came out, but I was working at the theater when the fourth one came out. I don't have a huge memory of it coming out, because like I said, I wasn't a fan of them when it was released, so it didn't stick with me, but I do remember the opening weekend was crazy, because it had been like 10 years since the last one had come out, so people were super excited to go back to Woodsboro and see Sydney face off Ghostface again. And I do remember that opening weekend, I think I got that Friday off, so I was able to go see it, and it was packed. That is the only memory that has really stuck with me, but I'm getting off topic talking about the fourth one. Let's go back to the screams that we're supposed to be talking about in this episode, and that is Scream 1 and 2. Let's get into it. So I'm just going to go ahead and throw it out there. Spoiler alert. It's going to be filled with spoilers. I'm going to try to keep a secret about this movie because it's been out since 1996. So you've had plenty of time to watch it. And if you haven't, I'm going to basically talk your way through it. With that being said, I think the first Scream is the best. It definitely laid the groundwork for the next three movies. And I also think that they're making a fifth one, even though Wes Craven's dead. So I really don't know how that's gonna go but I'm excited to see it but like I said the first one is quite possibly my favorite my ranking goes first one fourth one second one then third one and that may change when the fifth one comes out if it ever comes out I'm gonna do like what I did with Twilight I'm gonna talk about first the actors that are in this movie because it is packed this is a jam-packed cast and in the first one we've got Nev Campbell Drew Barrymore for like the first five minutes, but still she's in there and it's important. Skeet Ulrich, and if any Riverdale fans are out there, that would be F.P. Jones. We've also got Matthew Lillard, aka Shaggy, for any of my Scooby-Doo fans out there. And we have Henry Winkler, the Fonz, is in this movie for, again, like five minutes, but he's still in it, so I had to mention him. And then David Arquette and Courtney Cox. I don't remember if they were, I think they got married after this one. So cute little real life love story there. Didn't last, but still it's cute. Courtney Cox was probably the biggest star that they had on this movie, mainly because it was right in the middle of the Friends 
craziness. That's I guess that's probably the best word. Craziness. Um, I mean, Nev Campbell had done the craft, but let's face it, Friends really tops that. Then in the second movie, we still have Nev Campbell, we still have Courtney Cox and David Arquette, but they add Liev Schreiber, and he's actually in the first one, but you only see him on TV, so I didn't really count that. And then you also have Timothy Oliphant, or Oliphant, I think it's Oliphant, and Jerry O'Connell, plus Jada Pinkett Smith and Omar Epps, Joshua Jackson, Dawson's Creek, and Sarah Michelle Gellar, aka Buffy. They make a little guest appearance. Jada Pinkett Smith's only in there for like five minutes, and so is Omar Epps, but we'll get into that when we talk about the second one. So we all know the story for the first scream. Sydney's mom was murdered a year ago. She's dating Billy, Skeet Ulrich, and they have issues with Sydney not really wanting to have sex with him, and that causes a lot of tension. And her best friend is Tatum, which is Rose McGowan. I forgot to put her in the list at the beginning. And she is Dewey's sister, and Dewey is played by David Arquette. And she's dating Billy's bestie, Stu, which is Matthew Lillard. (laughs) And then Gail, Courtney Cox, who is the news reporter. But she is the one who wrote the book on Sydney's mom's murder. And I think she actually did the news story for it. So her and Sydney are not besties. That's for sure. Now that we've covered who's in the story and kind of the layout of it, we need to talk about this opening scene, which was Drew Barrymore's five minutes that she had in this movie. She was already famous, so I'm not going to say that it's her five minutes of fame because she already has it. But we open up with a phone call and Drew Barrymore answers said phone call. Her character's name is Casey and we, they start a conversation with this unknown caller. They talk about scary movies and the cliches that they have, but then he asks her for her name. And she asks him why he wants to know that, and his response, so I can know who I'm looking at. Okay, that's creepy. Especially because she is at home by herself, and apparently she lives out way, way out, so nobody's going to be around to save her. And she has a lot of windows in that house, way too exposed. It was definitely like when a stranger calls, I had those vibes. But he asks her that question, and that's when she hangs up. And she should hang up the phone. I'm not going to talk to somebody that says, so I can see who I'm talking to. Like, no, it's time to go. Well, when she hangs up the phone, he doesn't like that. So obviously he calls back. And we find out that he's got her boyfriend, Steve, tied up on the patio. And the caller makes her play a game to save his life. Uh, Horror movie trivia, I think is what he calls it. She has to guess who the killer was in Halloween and who the killer was in... Friday the 13th, which she gets wrong. She thinks it's Jason and it's Mrs. Voorhees. For any of my scary movie people out there, you probably already knew that. So since she got that question wrong, Steve paid the price and was stabbed. She didn't see him get stabbed, but you hear it, which is just as gross. And then the lights come back on him and he's dead on her patio, which means that she's next and she needs to get the heck out of Dodge. That sounded really stupid when I said that. She needs to get the hell out of there, basically. She tries to make a run for it. There is a car coming down the road and she tries to make a run for them, which you find out later is her parents coming home. So terrible. But the killer, his name is Ghostface, catches up to her and stabs her and then hangs her from a tree. Like, we're just starting this movie out with a bang. Wes Craven wasted no time. No time at all getting to the suspense. And obviously everybody at school is going to find out about this because it makes it seem like Woodsboro is a pretty tiny town. I don't know how tiny it is. They really don't go into specifics about that. But, like, everybody knows everybody. It seems like everybody's been to school with each other for a really long time. So they, so it doesn't take long for news to get back to people. So everybody at school finds out. 
and they get questioned, which brings up some issues with Sydney because, you know, like I said, her mom died a year ago. So she's still dealing with that. And her friends are also, they have just no tact. They don't take into consideration that her mother is dead and they just talk about people being gutted right in front of her. Do better. Her friends suck. You find out after that, you find out that her dad is actually going out of town for work. And so she's going to go stay with Tatum, which I don't blame her because she also lives out. Everybody lives out out of town in these movies. Like, it takes a while to get into town, which I guess adds to the suspense. But still, everybody lives way out. Now, Sydney's house is huge and it's big and it's beautiful, but I wouldn't want to stay there by myself either, especially with a killer on the loose. But while she's waiting for Tatum to pick her up, she gets a phone call and she definitely tries to play this guy's bluff he's sitting there asking her all these questions and she's like okay well what am i doing right now and she's like picking her nose and like taunting him basically but then she gets attacked by dun 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 ghost face yeah i wanted to add the suspense to that obviously we have no idea who it is because he wears a cloak that may be the wrong word that i'm using there but i'm gonna go with it cloak sounds better he's wearing a cloak and a mask and we all know what the mask looks like so i'm not even i can't even describe it to you i'd probably be terrible at describing it to you but we all know what it looks like it kind of looks like he's trying to be in like a little like ghoul choir where he's like ooh, and making that permanent well permanent scream face that's not a pun it's just the best description i can give you anyways he chases her up to her room which I give her credit because she said that the girls always go to the room before trying to go out the door. She did try to go out the front door, but it was locked and she couldn't get it unlocked in time before he lunged at her with a knife. So props to her for trying, but she ends up in her bedroom and then she contacts the police through her computer, which I thought was funny because that was such a new way of doing technology and now it's totally normal. Once she gets the police contacted, the killer's gone, just disappears. But all of a sudden, Billy shows up through her window. Coincidence? I think not. And we all know it's not because of people that have seen this movie. We know it's not a coincidence. There's your spoiler. They arrest Billy and they pull his cellular telephone records. Cellular telephone is not my word. That is their word. I just thought it was funny. But they pull his records to see if he was the one who called Sydney. He was not. And now Sydney feels like crap because she basically pointed the finger of blame at her boyfriend and he didn't do anything or so they think so once everything's done and they let her go home they're trying to get her out the back way because all these reporters are there obviously gail really wants an interview with sydney but sydney is still pretty pissed that gail wrote a book about her mom's murder i don't blame her really really don't so instead of an interview sydney gives her a punch in the face which is just glorious and she deserved it so go sydney but the guy that Sydney thinks killed her mother, Cotton Weary, which is played by Leif Schreiber. Gail thinks he's innocent and tells Sydney that whenever she goes to apologize for punching her in the face. And she kind of lays it all out for Sydney of why he is innocent. You know, she says, well, you think you saw him, but you don't know who you saw. And now this man's in jail for something that he might not have done. That gets Sydney to thinking that maybe she did point the finger of blame at somebody that didn't do it. But then, after Gail tells Sydney all of this information, she starts to think if all of these murders are related, starting with Sydney's mom. She thinks that that's connected to all these other murders that are happening. Oh, but guess who's back and no longer a suspect? Billy's back. Back again. So not that Billy and Sydney have like the most strongest relationship, but 
telling her that she needs to get over her mom dying and comparing it to his mom leaving is not helping things on his end. I mean, she is grieving and that takes longer than a year to get over your mom dying. And to compare it to your mom leaving, it's just not even sort of the same. But I'm not gonna harp on that too long because you all know that it sucks. So Sydney is obviously upset that Billy has said this to her, as any girl would be. And what does any high school girl do when they are upset? They go to the bathroom and they wanna cry. They wanna cry in peace. But no, these girls come in, they're talking crap about Sydney, about how she might be the killer because she's gone crazy apparently since her mom died. Girls suck, all these kids suck in this school. But anyway, she's in the bathroom, she's crying, she's upset, and we've all done that. We have all gone to the bathroom and cried because it is a safe place. But it is not a safe place in this school because the killer is in the bathroom. She escapes. She does the cool, like, slide under the sink thing and busts out the door. But then all of a sudden, the killer's gone. Again. It's like freaking Houdini. So, obviously, because murders are happening, that means there's a curfew. Curfew means party. We all know how this is going to go. It's not going to go well. So we thought that the killer was gone. Flashback to the school. And we find out that he is not gone. And he's actually still at the school. He's actually hiding in the principal's office. And... I don't think I said it at the beginning, but Henry Winkler's playing the principal in this movie. So I think you all know what I'm getting at here. The short run that Henry Winkler had in this movie has come to an end. The Fonz is our third murder for this movie. So I told you that Gail brought up all this stuff about how Cotton may not be the one that killed Sydney's mom. Well, she was talking to Tatum about it. And then Tatum starts to think that he also might be innocent, which pisses Sydney off because she's supposed to be on her best friend's side here. You know, this dude killed her mom and she's not backing her up. But honestly, everyone's a suspect. Every single person in this movie is a suspect. Which brings us to Randy, our horror movie expert, who gives us a rundown on why Billy is the killer. Also poor Randy though, because he's so in love with Sydney and she just won't give him the time of day because he's the sidekick best friend who will never get the time of day. So before they go to the party, the cops have now figured out that the calls are from Sydney's dad's phone and he's supposed to be out of town. So now he is suspect numero uno. But with that being said, it's party time. And of course, what's a party without Gail Weathers? She of course has crashed this party. She flirts with Dewey to get her way into the party so that she can set up a little camera so that she can film see if the killer shows up. Side note though, the house, Stu's house, I saw the other day that you can actually rent that on Airbnb and I think that would kind of be cool to do. Lord knows how expensive it is, but still thought I would share that little tidbit with you guys. But back to Gail, like I said, she flirts to get inside the party, sets up the camera, but when she sets it up and gets back to the van, they realize that there's like a, a lag. I think they say it's like 30 seconds. So that's definitely gonna make things interesting. So we've now come to the part of the movie where it is my least favorite death. It's just so gross and it's Tatum's death. And to me, it's, like I said, it's the worst. Like she gets crushed by a garage door and it's ugh, ugh, it's just awful. And then he leaves her hanging there. Like she tries to crawl out the window in the garage and he leaves her hanging there, yuck. But even though a murder has just happened that no one heard, obviously, the party must go on. And surprise, surprise, Billy crashes the party. But Sydney has now decided that since he was cleared of not being a killer, and she believes he is not a killer, that she wants to sleep with him. And this scene happens while we flash back and forth to the party, and the party is watching Halloween, and they're talking about the rules of horror movies, and Randy breaks it down 
And obviously everybody breaks every single rule. And while that is all going on, Gail and Dewey are falling in love and looking for a car in the woods that someone said that they saw. Would be a real meat cute, but they've already met, so it's just cute. But they eventually do find this car, and it's Sydney's dad's car. Dun dun dun! Back at the party, they get a call that the cops found the principal dead, so everyone leaves. Don't know why, because they said that he was hanging from the football goal. Everybody's like, oh, let's go see. I'm like, weirdos. But whatever, it's a movie. But that leaves Randy all alone. Back to Billy and Sydney. They've had sex, but something's just not right with Sydney. She now starts to try and piece everything together. Why she didn't do this beforehand, I don't know. But she does. She starts to put the pieces together. But before she can do that, Billy gets stabbed by the killer. Is he dead? We're about to find out. Here in a minute. Sydney tries to escape and sort of succeeds she tries to crawl out the attic window and Ghostface gets a hold of her hand and she pulls back and falls onto a boat so i guess technically she escapes but it's not i wouldn't call that a success also has she done severely hurt herself falling out of this window i'll never know but here we are she does find tatum which is sad but she then tries to go find help and she does i mean she finds kenny the cameraman so i guess that's help You think that Randy is about to die, though they're watching it on, they're watching the footage that Gail had set up. From the party, the lag is showing that Ghostface is in the living room with Randy, but when they turn around, he slashes Kenny's throat and kills him, obviously. Sydney tries to hide in the van, but she gets stabbed, and then she has to escape out the back of the van, which the killer follows her and then escapes through the van too, why he didn't just wait for her to leave the van, I don't know, but... It's not killer logic, I guess. So when Gail and Dewey get back from finding the car, they see what all has happened, and Dewey goes inside and has Gail call for backup. No, sir. I am not going in the house by myself. They have a horror movie playing in the background. It is, it's freaky. Why he didn't turn it off when he got in there, I don't know. But whatever, it's Dewey. But he should have waited for backup because Gail tries to call, but gets attacked, then tries to leave in the van, but that's when we find Kenny. His blood's all running down the windshield and she tries to wipe in. It's all gross. And then when she drives off after Ghostface bashes the window, she breaks and Kenny slides down the roof. And then she tries to get Kenny off of the van, but she ends up trying to dodge somebody in the road and crashes. Said van. Is Gail dead? We'll find out later. Sydney has made her way back to the house though. And we see Dewey, which should be good, right? Wrong. He got freaking stabbed in the back. Sydney thinks she can just take the patrol car, though. But wrongo. Ghostface has the keys. She somehow, though, gets away from him again. Then she makes her way up to Dewey and grabs his gun. And out of nowhere come Randy and Stu. And Sydney starts to think, well, which one of you guys is the killer? They're trying to convince her, oh, it's him. No, it's him. Back and forth. Well, she decides just to screw the whole thing and lock them both out of the house. But lo and behold, here comes Billy. He is back from the dead. Or at least we thought he was dead. Which was a good plan. And she gives him the gun. Dumb, dumb mistake. Well, he ends up letting, he ends up opening the door and Randy runs in. And that's when Billy says the line, we all go a little mad sometimes. And shoots freaking Randy. Randy didn't deserve that. But he shoots him because, spoiler alert, Billy's the killer. And also another spoiler, Stu's also the killer. Teamwork makes the dream work, right? Their motive, though, 
they explain it because Sydney asks, obviously, their motive for this whole thing and what started all of this madness was Sydney's mom. They killed her because she was sleeping with Billy's dad and that's why his parents separated. And then they framed Cotton for killing her mom. Not gonna lie, it's kind of a good plan for two high school boys. It's wrong, but it's not a terrible plan. They've also kidnapped her dad. They've really thought of everything. They kidnapped her dad and they're gonna frame him for the murders. They're gonna say he went like crazy because this happened all on the year anniversary of her mom's death, but Billy and Stu have a plan to survive this so they can tell the story and, in their words, plan the sequel. But their plans include them stabbing each other so that they can say, hey, we fought to get out of this and we barely made it out alive. And that's when things start to go wrong in their plan. Stu loses too much blood because when Billy stabbed him, he didn't stab him where they had originally discussed. And so he's bleeding a ton and he's kind of just losing it. He's just fading fast. And in the midst of all this stabbing and whatnot and them telling Sydney their plan, Gail shows up and makes her fabulous return with a gun, by the way. And like I said, she's heard the whole thing. But before she could shoot anybody, Billy knocks her out. And it's a good thing she didn't try to shoot anybody because it wouldn't have worked because the safety was on. But in the midst of all that craziness, Sydney was able to get away and go call the cops and go hide. While we wait for the cops to get there, they are looking for Sydney, Billy and Stu are, and Sydney bursts through the coat closet, stabs Billy with an umbrella, and then Stu starts chasing her. They, you know, tussle for a while, and then to kill him, she traps a TV on his head. It, it was something, I, I guess. But Billy ends up, you know, obviously that didn't, stabbing him with an umbrella didn't knock him down for long. He was back up trying to kill Sydney again, and then Gail comes back and shoots him. And you think he's dead, but he also, you know, he does the dramatic, you know, second comeback, and then Sydney shoots him again, and then he's really, really dead. He ain't coming back. But Dewey, Gail, Randy, and of course Sydney all survive this movie. Her dad does too, but you don't see him again ever, I don't think. I think in the second one they say he's out of the country and I can't remember about any of the rest, but I just know that that's the only one that you see him in. So for this first one, it was definitely a 10 out of 10 for me. Like I said, it's my favorite one, mainly because it lays the, the groundwork for all the other movies. But the pacing of it's really well, and it, it is a movie that I watch every single year on around Halloween. I either watch it the month of October or I watch it on Halloween, and I don't ever see that changing. It's definitely a classic, in my opinion. And now it's sequel time. We start this one out at the movies with Jada Pinkett Smith and Omar Epps. Uh, Maureen and Phil, I believe, are their names. But they're seeing the on-screen adaptation of Gail's book, The Woodsboro Murders. And the movie is called, wait for it, Stab. So original, right? But we waste no time killing somebody. Ghostface kills Omar Epps in the bathroom, stabs that man in the face, then pretended to be him, goes and sits by Jada, and kills her in a movie premiere. And everybody thinks it was part of the premiere. So everybody's going nuts. Which, by the way, no movie premiere would ever happen that way. Scary movie or not, doesn't give you the right to act full. We pick up in this movie, though, with Randy and Sydney at college. 
She got herself a new man. His name's Derek, and he's played by Jerry O'Connell. He seems pretty normal, but, you know, the jury's not out yet. Her track record isn't that great. I know we're only going by one movie, but that one movie and that one boyfriend were enough. She's got new friends. Her roommate, I think her name's Hallie or Haley. can't remember. I think it's Hallie. And Mickey. Mickey is played by Timothy Oliphant. Gail's coming in hot in this movie with a new hairdo. she got those red streaks. And she's here, duh, because of a murder. Dewey is also here, but he's here for a good reason, and it's to check on Sid. He now has a limp, and his arm is messed up from getting stabbed. I think it caused nerve damage. Gail not only came to get the scoop on this murder, though, she came to get an interview, and she brought a visitor for said interview, which is Mr. Lee Schreiber, playing Cotton Weary. He actually gets some lines in this one. He wants an interview with Sydney to clear the air since he was found not guilty of killing her mom. He wants his 15 minutes of fame on Diane Sawyer to show that he's a good guy. Again, instead of an interview, Gail gets hit in the face by Sydney. She doesn't punch her this time. She's a little bit nicer. She just slaps her. Things are pretty hostile with Gail and Dewey. She did not paint a very good picture of him in her books. I think she called him naive. And so that was a very short-lived love story for now. Even though she has dealt with a killer going after her, she is trying to have a normal college experience. And what does a normal college experience mean? Sorority parties with her roommate. But to me, I don't think that sorority parties and Sydney mix, but we shall see. We um, flip over in this movie, though, to Sarah Michelle Gellar's character. Her name is Cece, and her cameo ends in a murder. And she's her second murder. Actually, she's our third murder of the show. Sorry, Buffy. But he threw her out a freaking window when he murdered her. Like, he... This killer has stepped up his game. He's not just stabbing people. He's stabbing you, and then he's throwing you off a roof. So, obviously, murder kills the party vibe. And everyone is leaving, and the phone rings in the sorority house. Why Sydney feels like she needs to answer this phone, I don't know. But she does. And, duh, it's Ghostface on the phone threatening her. And he busts out of the closet. Derek and Dewey both try to come and help her. And go. And I think that Derek goes after Ghostface. But they both fail to catch him. Derek did end up with a cut on his arm. Anybody else shocked that he didn't get killed right there? Because I am. And it, you know, just so happened to not cut any major arteries. But whatever. I think he's pre-med. So that's also a little suspicious. So the cops, or mainly Dewey and Gale, figure out that this new killer is duplicating the Woodsboro murders. The names of the new victims, whether it be their first or last name, are the same as the people killed in Woodsboro. So Maureen Evans, she would be for Maureen Prescott. Phil Stevens for Stephen Orth, which was Drew Barrymore's boyfriend in the first one. He had no lines, but still he was murdered. And Cece, aka Casey Cooper, for Casey Becker, which was, remember, Drew Barrymore's character. So, is this new killer from Woodsboro? We'll see. So, to throw everybody off the trail to think that he's not a killer, Derek does a musical number, a Top Gun musical number, you know, professing his love to Sydney, and he gives her his Greek letters, which those do come into play later on in the movie. So, maybe he's not a killer. I don't know. Jury's still out. We do get to see a clip of this movie, though, the Stab movie. Um, And what's funny is they have Tori Spelling playing Sydney and then Luke Wilson playing Billy, 
which I just find comical. I don't know why. And it was just, it was rough to watch that clip because it was just not very good. But we're going back to the real deal, the real scary story here. Sydney is apparently the lead in her college play. And while running rehearsal, she has a panic attack. And it's not surprising because all these people in this act are wearing masks. And so I would think I was seeing Ghostface 2. Be difficult to not. And those those masks have just got to go, I would say. But it's like a period piece, so they probably can't really cut them. But still, I would cause a scene and make them go. But Derek comes to pick her up, and she just thinks it's too coincidental that he just shows up after she has this panic attack and thinks that she sees Ghostface. And she tells him that she needs space. And you know what? She really does. Sydney needs some her time. She doesn't need a man because they're all just not very great. He He's pretty good. I will say Derek is great. But I don't know how she could trust a boyfriend after Billy. Girl's got to have trust issues. Uh, you know, who can blame her? So Dewey, Gail, and Randy plus Gail's new cameraman, Joel, which I don't know how she got a new cameraman because I wouldn't want to take that job after hearing about Kenny. But she has a new cameraman. He's pretty funny. I will say he's the comic relief of the movie. But they are trying to figure out who this new killer could be when all of a sudden, coincidentally, the killer calls Gail. And Randy picks up the phone and he ends up having to distract the killer while Gail and Dewey try and find the person who's making this call. And they're trying to look for somebody who's on a cell phone, which at this point in time, everybody has a cell phone. So it makes it a little bit difficult. And sadly, they're too late and poor Randy dies. Like a really overkill die. Like they pull him into the van and it's bad. It's rough. But all this is happening while Sydney is in the library getting a threatening IM. Stupid Tanulos here, this killer. Going through instant messenger. And of course, it's saying that she's going to die tonight. And what do her detective escorts do? Leave her alone in the corner while they go search these computers. And then out of nowhere, Cotton shows up. Number one, why is he there? He does not go to school there and he should have left. She said no, so he should have gone. But anyways, he's still begging her to do this Diane Sawyer interview. And he gets a little hostile. He gets a little irritated that she keeps saying no. And he gets arrested because they think that he is the killer again. And with all this happening, they decide that they want to move Sydney to a safe location. On the night of a campus lock-in. See where I'm going with this? Come on, I know you do. In the meantime, Joel does quit, which means Gail and Dewey are teaming up again, aka they're going to fall in love again. They do figure out that um, the new ghost face is filming his murders. I don't know if he's filming the whole thing, but he is filming them while he's talking on the phone to them. And they figure that out because they are watching clips from footage that Gail had shot, or that Joel had shot, not Gail. And all of a sudden, this footage from... CC Cooper's murder she's talking on the phone outside of her sorority house comes over the screen and they look behind them and there's Ghostface he's in the auditorium with them you know they run and they chase and Gail does get away but Dewey does not get stabbed yet again poor man can't catch a break Gail runs into Cotton though after all these attacks happen and he is covered in blood. It's really not looking good for Mr. Cotton Weary. He's really not selling me that he is not a murderer. And he's not selling Gail that he is not a murderer. She runs away and tries to call the cops. That leads us back to Sydney. She's being escorted off campus with her roommate, but she can't go before she tells Derek that she loves him and they, you know, she basically hints at him that she wants, still wants them to be together. 
but he gets kidnapped by his frat after they leave because he's going to get punished because he gave her his Greek letters. Apparently that's a no-go in Greek life. I wouldn't know. I didn't do Greek life, but obviously it is very important to these guys because they strap him to a star. I think it's a star. Yeah, from the play. They basically like throw beer on him and like cut him and like, I would not want to be a part of this frat. He may think to think about leaving this frat. But we're going to get back to him. We think that Sydney's in the clear until they hit a stoplight. A really long stoplight, obviously, because Ghostface has time to come in, kill a detective, steal the car, and then kill the other detective that was holding on to said car by crashing the car into a construction wall. Of course, since they're in a cop car, they're locked in the back seat. And when I say they, I don't think I told you her roommate ended up coming with her because she said she wasn't going to go by herself. So they're both locked in the back of this cop car, and the only way out is for them to crawl over Ghostface. They both make it out. Now, you would think that when she makes it out, that she would want to rip that mask off and find out who this killer is. But no, we run away. And then we decide that we want to go back and see who it is. She leaves Haley there, and of course, when she goes back to the car, he's not there. Shocker. We turn around, and he has killed Haley because they didn't run away. Sydney ends up back at the college and back at the theater stage where she gets trapped and we see that Derek is still there. They just left him there after they punished him. They were going to leave him there all night. Actually, he said that he thought he was going to be there until opening night. So they plan to leave him there for quite a bit. But the big reveal is coming. The big reveal of the killer. And it is Mickey. Timothy Oliphant is our killer of this movie. And he says that Derek is his partner. And poor Sydney doesn't know who to believe because she has had a killer boyfriend. So why wouldn't history repeat itself? But we really don't even get a chance to figure that out because Mickey shoots Derek and he dies. But Mickey isn't like Billy and Stu. He wants to get caught so that he can go to trial. And he says that he's going to blame the movies and say that they made him do it. But he wants that trial to be, you know, his big break. He wants it televised. He wants that to be his moment. But he does have a partner. It's Mrs. Loomis, Billy's mom. We just can't get away from the Loomis family. But she's been pretending to be a news reporter this whole time. She was like up Gail's butt for half the movie. And then she, you know, makes the big reveal that she is the killer. And what's funny is I've been watching The Big Bang Theory and she is Sheldon's mom. And I just can't look at her the same. Like She's not a killer. She is the sweet little Southern lady who loves Jesus and tries to get Sheldon to love Jesus too. (laughs) But anyways, back to it. She ends up shooting Mickey, like, real quick. She doesn't even give him a chance. They don't even get a chance to talk about what they want to do. She just shoots him, just right out the gate. She just shoots him to get to Sydney, and then his purpose was done. Gail tries to go for his gun, but she gets shot, and she ends up, like, falling below the stage, like, where the orchestra would be. So we don't know if she is alive or dead. But Mrs. Loomis obviously wants some revenge for Sydney killing Billy, and she almost succeeds, but then Cotton comes in to save the day. And almost doesn't save the day, but then Sydney offers him an interview, and that's all he wanted. That is all he has wanted this whole movie, is for her to say, yes, I will do this interview with you. And with that, he shoots Mrs. Loomis. So she's dead, and Mickey's dead, so we thought. Because Gail actually survives. She pops up and then Mickey pops up behind them. They take care of that by shooting the crap out of him. P. 
people are really into overkill in this movie. Okay, so we end our part one of this two-part episode. Because like I said, I'm going to do Scream 3 and 4 next week. But we end it with our three main characters surviving. Which is good news for our Dewey and Gale love story arc. I mean, it's going to continue because when they pull him out of the auditorium... He's still alive, and Gail's like, oh, I'm not going to leave you. So that's high hopes for next couple movies. With this movie, I haven't watched it as much, but I still enjoy to rewatch it, and it still serves its purpose for Spooky Season. I do not think that it is the best. I Like I said, I've already stated my ranking for it. It's my least favorite. Well, actually, it's my second to least favorite. The second one and the third one are not my favorites. <laughs> But it gets like a 7 out of 10 for me, I would say. Because like I said, it still serves its purpose for spooky season. And it's still part of this franchise. So I just want to say thank you again for coming back and listening to my podcast. And listening to me ramble again. I would love to hear your thoughts on this episode and what you think about these movies. So again, go give me a follow on either Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, or all three. And my handle for all those platforms is at Movie Theater Mom. And let's discuss these movies. Okay, guys. Well, I really hope you enjoyed this episode. Next week, again, is Scream 3 and 4. How many times can I say that? That we're going to watch Scream 3 and 4. But those are the two movies for next week. And I have a few more planned for the rest of the spooky season after them so keep an eye out on those platforms that i mentioned above so until next week see you guys